Hello there, and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, I learned this week that we now know when the holiday season's on, when inflatable baby Yoda and inflatable minions appear, rather than, like, probably <laughs> anything else. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know that's just this year, but it seems definitely trending. It's like, hey, Baby Yoda's here. It must be, must be Christmas time. No mangers, no, no wasn't, Santos. <laughs> wasn't there somebody around here who was doing like all minions? Like, wasn't it a thing last year that they had an all minions display for Christmas? Oh, I hadn't seen that. There's, there's definitely loads around. <laughs> I thought maybe that's not this area. Maybe it was a news thing I saw last year, but it's definitely a thing. Like people doing all the minions, and I don't know. I would seek that out, I think. (laughs) Where's the minions hole? (laughs) Open Sources Guelph is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. Which this week will be Ward 5 Councillor Leanne Caron, who is going to talk to us about some recent council developments, including official plan re-deliberations and the ongoing housing crisis, and trying to work with local developers. That's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few few news items from the last week, including the Ontario government. It's been another great week of flip-flops, but at least Doug is going to make it easy to buy alcohol and drink it in dark despair <laughs> in our own homes <laughs> over the holiday. But first, uh, we need to talk about international students because last week, Mark Miller, the federal immigration minister, came out and said that international students coming to Canada will now have to have twice as much money on hand. Uh, it was about $10,000. Now it's going to be $20,000. Uh, this is designed as an effort to sort of make sure that international students who are coming here have the resources to take care of themselves. Uh, This is largely being seen as sort of a response to, and you know, you may have seen this online. There's a lot of negative response to international students. Uh, Brampton has barred international students from accessing the food bank there. Um, It's been, been on the Kitchener subreddit lately. There's been a lot of really kind of gross commentary about international students there it seems that international students are the new scapegoat um but the question needs to be asked um are we putting our eye in the wrong place who's bringing international students here well it turns out to be ontario's colleges um interesting factoid about the amount of revenue that ontario's 24 public colleges makes from international students, they bring in $2.5 billion in revenue versus the $1.9 billion in revenue that come in from the Ontario government. Um, a study, I think it was last year, 92% of all tuition fees at Northern College come from international students. And CBC mm-hmm. had this story about uh, a, a Northern College campus in Scarborough where like uh, it quoted international students there who said that you know, on campus, they didn't even feel like they were in a foreign country because there were so many students from India on this campus. Um, it really does seem like international students are the new cash cow for our post-secondary institutions. So, I mean, why are we kind of punishing the students instead of, I don't know, properly funding our post-secondary institutions? <laughs> 
And and that's exactly it. I mean, it's it's no secret. Like it, it's presented as if surprise, there's international students, and there's so many of them. We've had we've had international students for a long time. I think it started post-war, right? There was this mm-hmm. kind of upswing where it was like in terms of sharing knowledge and wanting to, you know, present, let's say, present Canada to the world, good place to come. Perhaps you want to immigrate here. But the mm-hmm. tone has changed. And a lot of that recently is largely to do with just the sheer amount of international students that have come, mm-hmm. which is not like the blame is like, oh, there's so many of them. Where do they all come from? Oh, and then, like you said about the subreddit, which is actually a very interesting discussion that r slash kitchener about this that's where i first saw it. it was a little while ago now but i remember seeing exactly what you're talking about there the permits for international students to come to canada last year was half a million five hundred and fifty thousand, roughly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's up from 75 percent from five years ago mm-hmm. so and as you said the cash they are definitely being used as a cash cow regardless of what they may gain from coming but with the freezes that have happened in post-secondary, particularly in Ontario, but also in other places, the revenue has to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And since there was no cap put on, there's no cap on international students, right? Nope. That's so like open the door and then they can they can be for everything where the where the strain is. But the 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 problem, or at least the challenges with that too, are the strains that that's causing. And it's not directly the fault of international students. No. They're like, sure, come to Canada. There's there's recruiters the world over. India in particular, but like, go to Canada. It's great. They'll give you this. They'll give you that. And it sounds like some of what had happened at that food bank in Brampton was, was they were encouraged to go because it's, well, it's, it's free food. So you should just, you should just go. Right. Yeah. That food bank had to say, no, that's not how it works. It's needs based, et cetera. And I'm not sure if that announcement from the feds was just to sort of make it look like they're mm-hmm. doing something. I mean, you would probably at the rates that they pay hope to have more than 10k in the bank to even exist even -hmm. without the strains and stresses that are going on right Mm -hmm. so but that means i mean that was increased i'm not sure when that's happening but that means there's a bunch of folk here that have the lesser amount of money and of course part of that is wanting to find jobs and they're encouraged to work because there was that for the longest time it's like we can't find anybody to work yeah, it's like okay, well, we'll lift the cap for national students. It was a, I remember there was people got in trouble for working too many hours. Now it's like you can work unlimited. So you imagine you're coming here, the finances are being strained, and there's people looking for full time jobs. Mm-hmm. So that's you're working full time, you're going to school full time, you can't find a place, you know, no jobs, no housing necessarily. The buses are full. I saw that comment from Kitchener too. It's like, well, the buses are always rammed, right? <laughs> you can't blame institutions for that. And just, I just wanted to say that over the years in in having encounters with international students through through work in various capacities, they have given me the least amount of trouble of anybody, <laughs> anyone. Always a pleasure <laughs> to serve them. This is at least an on campus, you know, on campus, off campus, maybe a different story in the full houses. And I saw that to their complaints about, oh, the houses, they've got seven or eight cars. And I was like, uh, I, you know, I have you, do you know, students like most student houses, if yeah. they have vehicles, it's like that anyway. So, so a lot of it is misdirected. Yeah. For sure. them Unfairly. 
yeah, it, you know, meanwhile, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it, the, the Ontario government part of this. We will get to in a second. Um, but they did, they did have their report that came out last month that did recommend that uh, the tuition freeze should be ended. And, I mean, the initial reaction is like, well, that's maybe probably bad news for now Canadian-born students who are going to see their tuition fees go up. But the other, the flip side of it is that they did recommend that there should be an increase in per-student funding as well. In Ontario, um, the lowest, you know, Ontario plays the lowest um, per-student grant of any province in Canada. In Ontario, it's $8,647 per full-time student as compared to the average of $12,215 per full-time student in the when you take the rest of Canada on an average. So we're like $4,000 short almost. And when this, this was an independent report that was developed, it was commissioned by the Ontario government. It was independently done, but Jill Dunlop, who's the minister of colleges, universities and trade, you know, she, she's asked, well, what, so what's going to come with this report? She's like, well, we're going to have to audit campuses everywhere to, you know, see and, you know, what we can do about the funding and then we'll make a decision about what we do and the pursuing captain. It's like, well, fair enough, audit away. But, um, one of the things that came out of their most recent Ontario Auditor General's report is that, it, uh, at least in the case of York University, is that they've seen an increase in, um, and Scotty, I love this, the increase in senior management <laughs> over um, what they're seeing is, um, I think it was six out of 10 of the faculties um, had lo more losses, uh, financial losses, than uh, were actually making money so as the the number of uh senior management positions are going up there's more money going to program or there's less money going to programs which i think if you listen to some of the faculty from different universities talking this does not seem to be a unique phenomenon either so i mean the ontario government did go for the audit uh answer because everything once we once we have an audit we'll know everything but on the other hand i'm not sure that's unreasonable in this case either no, and that's a typical default too, right? So what we're we're going to do more study. We're going to analyze. We're going to audit it. But as as you mentioned, like this this review, this panel that they got to review, board mm -hmm. government's saying, "Well, tell us what the problem is," and the panel's saying, "Well, you're the problem." <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> essentially what happened, right? So then then that's, I mean, they're a part of the problem, but they're a very big part of the problem with some of the things that they've done. I mean. Remember that program was implemented under the liberals. It was essentially free or like to low and mid-income people. Yep. The tuition was cut. It was almost free for some people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then to pull that, it's uh, it's like, okay, to take a shot at the liberals, number one, maybe yep. more than anything, but yep. two is like, well, we're saving you money because we need value for money for the taxpayers. And this, this isn't fair. It's like, well, what is fair if low to mid-income people can't uh, get post-secondary education? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the system, particularly the college channel, was designed was designed for that, right? It's like more job oriented, and you pay. And also, by the way, given to us by a conservative government, mm. which is so quickly forgotten in this, because that I mean, the whole point of that back in the late '60s and early '70s, not just the consolidation of the universities to what they are now, but the whole college system. Mm was a product of the Bill Davis government. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, the government was probably heading that way anyway. Mm -hmm. 
and lots of crossover from the feds, of course, but it's like, here is, here is this system you've strained it so much. What do they have to do? Find revenue by bringing in international students mm-hmm. who then, as, as we said off the top, become the scapegoat. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's still not fixed. Mm-hmm. No. And the, the only thing that will fix the only thing that will fix it is is an injection of cash. But so is it like, and this probably speaks to topic two a bit too. It's like, are you straining this thing? So then the the mechanisms can be put in place to privatize it, which has already happened with certain colleges. I'm thinking Niagara College in particular. Yeah. There's only one ca- college that advertises the heck out of it now on yeah. TV. And that's Niagara College, which is essentially private. It doesn't belong to this, to the classic system, let's call it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is that it? Is it like you just want all of it to turn a profit now in the American style? Let's, you know, let's not mince words. That's where it's heading, mm-hmm. which is, which is the antithesis of what it's supposed to be all about. And let's not forget Laurentian too. This, I think that's kind of been memory hold that all the, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the financial strain at Laurentian that, that seemed to. I don't know, work itself out, uh, did it? <laughs> um, no, it was cut and slash and, and kill off programs and lay people off and yeah. be half the place it used to be or perhaps less than that. Yeah. But in, and as you also mentioned too about the uh, the upper positions, it's not, I, I would you know extend to anybody to, to have a look at that for themselves, pick the institution. It's It's a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. That these departments are top heavy now, yeah, and there's a lack at the bottom of those, and so much gets so much of the blame go tenured professor. We can't do everything with they're, they're tenured; they have to stay, and they're all on the sunshine list. And you don't have to scrape too hard to mm-hmm. to, to 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 see this. You well, can I mean, see it's... I'm holding back a little bit with what I'm saying, <laughs> but it's like you can look into that for yourself. Very easy to find how the, how this 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 is all shifted well i don't have to hold back so i'll, I'll just point out that you know it, it's kind of the same Go for the, it. Stu- <laughs> the, the student choice initiative which is like well we're gonna put power back in the hands of you the students and you can choose what services you want to support and which ones you don't um except for sports you're not allowed to talk oh, about right. sports yeah. um yeah. so but- critical well, just, I would argue physical activity is, crit- is critical, but but still, the, the point is made. Um, of course, one, what was one of the services that was going to be canceled under student choice? Uh, student-run food banks. And of course, where are our poor students going to get help? Student-run food banks. So yeah. it's, you know, fortunately, that went all the way up to the Court of Appeal who said, no, you can't do this. It's unconstitutional. Sorry. And it was one of the rare cases that the Ontario government listened. But it, it, there, there is a lot of this snipping on the edges as as you're talking about. Well, we'll get rid of like, um, you know, women's studies because who, you know, who who studies women or whatever, or, you know, whatever kind of way you want to brush that off, um, instead of sort of looking at where, yeah, like or how the, the the financial resources have shifted over the last, you know, let's say twenty years. Mm-hmm. It's if it it's one of those if it doesn't lead to employment, get rid of it. Yeah. So that Marxist social science department <laughs> that Hertz takes courses in, get rid of it, right? <laughs> well, and, and the, the tone is that too, right? It's like just well, no, no one's, no, no one's taking French. This is it's the official one of the official languages of the nation. 
Yeah. And then the French course gets cut. It's like of all of the things, why why that one? Mm-hmm. Is is there more? To, are we missing something? It's like that to me would be critical. And I know everybody would put puts a different stake on what is critical. Mm-hmm. And that would also help international students too, if the intention is to stay in the country. And I had, that's something else we should address too, because there's this kind of myth going around that people just want permanent residency by coming as an international student. It yeah. does happen, sure. but it's not as easy as people are. So I know quite a few people that have tried to go through the process yeah. legitimately and like, I want to stay and it just wasn't happening. And probably yeah. still isn't happening. It's not yeah. like every single night you know, all, all these five hundred fifty thousand people that have come last year, yeah, want to stay. I'm sure some of them do because it's a good place, right? But sure. it's yeah. it's BS to say that they're they're coming here as students just to just to stay and just to abuse the system. Oh, that's just nonsense. It's I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 the same old excuses. Yeah. Um, speaking of the same old excuses, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Queens Park officially wrapped up its fall sitting last week, week early, by the way. Um, but the Whoa. news keeps on coming. Yeah. They still get paid though, right? They still get paid for that week, right? They, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a salary position, but, um, yeah. Paul Calandra announced on Wednesday that, uh, the great dissolution of Peel that was announced in May, uh, not doing that anymore. He also announced that uh, they're reviewing a dozen MZOs that the the government has handed out. Um, They're looking at them again. Um, Looks like they might actually even repeal them. Um, And then uh, there was also announced uh, at this press conference that uh, they're going to be rolling back or re-examining some of the changes that they made in Bill 23 in regards to the exemptions for development fees. The only thing that's assured right now is that the the development charge exceptions for affordable housing, uh, purpose-built rental, and uh, social housing are will remain Uh, and all of this led to a really great on-point question from City News' Cynthia Mulligan Uh, is the government thinking before it acts? So (laughs) that's where we'll start with this piece. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, they are thinking a little bit, and you talked about off the top there about booze coming Uh to the corner stores and convenience stores and supermarkets. Mm -hmm. They're hoping that'll be the focus. It was the same thing with the buck of beer, right? Doug does this jovial announcement about, here, this coming soon. There'll be like, and people are really supposed to care. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to kind of wash aside everything that you you just mentioned and more i mean this is extensive and there's uh, speaking of the auditor general there was something out of that report that i think that spoke to everything mm-hmm. the entire way that this government works and it was specific to the science center but applied to other things and it it was i'm paraphrasing a bit but it was with the science center example it's like okay we've got these preliminary estimates but incomplete costs mm-hmm. incomplete info Mm-hmm. And then there was a failure to consult with stakeholders. And that to me represents not just everything that you've mentioned, but the entire length and breadth of this government so far in how they work and how mm-hmm. they don't accomplish things by doing that. They're like, we're going to, we're going to create all this housing. So we're going to start messing with the green belt to please the friends as mm-hmm. we know, mm-hmm. but you can, you can apply that to every single thing you mentioned and, Healthcare is another one that came out of the Auditor General's report, right? It's like mm-hmm. pretty, pretty much saying it's a mess. Mm-hmm. 
that's me paraphrasing again because there was all this this is a heavy topic because there's so much in there or housing we need to build houses so we're going to do this and it's like well you jumped the gun you didn't consult with anybody and now that the mess is being cleaned up as we've seen in Guelph and elsewhere are trying to see where it's like oh well what of these what of these MZOs are things that we put forward what are the ones that you really want to keep mm-hmm and that was the uh, said that today about going i'm going to examine thoroughly again auditing and having a look at the mzos that were given which is i think it's some kind of record yeah specifically for people that went to kayla ford's wedding <laughs> but it was it's a hundred where and that's down from like what was it 18 or 19 from the liberals over their entire government yeah those terrible win mcginty liberals yeah and there probably would have been a lot of you know tearing of hair over them whereas this was like okay stamp 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 you can have all of this well it's like cool and then and then go back to municipalities have had to bend over backwards to accommodate all of this stuff that they've changed again and then it's like well are there any of them that you really want to keep oh and by the way we're going to crack down on the people that we've given them to but crackdown is is should be used lightly because mm. it's the friends right generally i'm generalizing but they are connected right mm-hmm well, it's, I mean, it's even worse than that all, you know, the, the, the dissolution of Peel and killing that off. Um, like, is that a Bonnie Crombie thing? Because Bonnie Crombie is now the leader of the Ontario Liberals. Uh, she was kind of the only one, like, of the three mayors, when that announcement was made, she was kind of the only one celebrating, like, the... Patrick Brown was dead set against it, and the, the, the mayor of Caledonia was, was kind of sanguine. It's like, well, that's the way it goes. But it, it feels like <laughs> um, back when uh, the, the PC government was first elected in 2018, when uh, Doug Ford cancels the, the new chair of Peel Region, which Patrick Brown was running for and does all sorts of things to Brampton, oh, like essentially yeah, was screw with Patrick Brown. <laughs> pure vindictive. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so I, I you hate to think that this is kind of what's driving the government, but I mean, there is precedent past this prologue, but um, it, it's, it's, I mean, what kind of galls me is like covering this from a, from a local level is just like, it's a lost year. We've lost a year because they did a bunch of stuff last fall and then have undone it this fall. And there was something interesting in the press release for the announcement on Wednesday, um, how they're going to... Um, have uh, an investigation of a new attainable housing program. I put I I plucked that out because uh, I was at the Ward Four Budget Town Hall. Uh, I guess it was the end of last month. It was before the budget, but uh, Mayor Guthrie was there, and he was talking about this. How he was with the Ontario big city mayors, and they were talking to the province about like uh, affordable housing and province is like, well, you got to think about it two ways. You got to think about affordable housing. You got to think about attainable housing. And I put my hand up and I said, you know, hey, Cam, like, what do they mean by attainable housing? And he he would basically did the shrug emoji because the, all these big city mayors were like talking to the province and they were talking to the mayors about, you know, getting on board with attainable housing. And nobody knew what the word attainable meant. And, you know, so Cam's point was like, well, we're trying to get focus on maybe just affordable housing and then we'll look, look at attainable housing since we don't have a working definition. But that seems to be a lot of this is just we're going to throw out buzzwords um we're gonna micro slice this and bring in a lot of kapowza and zork and you know bob's your uncle and the problem is solved and um all we've gotten is another year older and i mean that it's it's 
it's kind of going like is is don't they keep saying there's a housing crisis well if there's a housing crisis why don't you give us some solutions instead of um you know coming up with stuff half cocked written on a napkin and you know announcing that as policy and then um spending months writing regulations and then when you realize it it's un- it's unworkable rolling it back i mean, it's just, it's yeah, it's, I mean- it's wasting everyone's time and part of it now too is this whole Paul Clander doing this deep analysis and everything that's happened. So that passes for action as well. It's like we we didn't we didn't like the process that they came up with. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna do a deep dive into what happened. So that takes time. And yeah. then there's Christmas, and then they're off until what is it February for them? It's a while, right? Uh, like it's just uh, yeah, family after family day. They're back after family day. Yeah. So it's like what had you know the analysis isn't gonna start christmas week and it won't be new year's week and it won't be ever and then when they come they'll be hoping by that time that people will have forgotten about everything Mm -hmm. but how can you forget there's no housing what i mean and this you know changing the language on housing too it's like you you can attain any housing if you've got enough money right so it's just (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're being ridiculous but it passes Mm -hmm. action just let's just come up with a new word but there's mm-hmm. no new there's no new housing. Oh, okay, not it's not that there isn't any absolutely. There's just no attainable housing on the horizon anywhere in the province. Mm-hmm. Prove me wrong. Somebody please prove me wrong on that, but just not seeing it with every tent that pops up. <laughs> somebody sleeps on the covered bridge around the corner now every day. It's like I know that may be a bit of a deeper problem than just housing, you know, regular stream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there that's that's not even on the radar. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's on a lot of people's radar. It's not on the government's radar. Well, as as you'll hear coming up next with the interview with Leanne, it, it's like this week at council they approved five hundred new units, which is good news. Um, but I mean that doesn't come anywhere close to like making sure people who are living in tents now have a place to go. Um, and that's sort of like where the desperate need is. It's like, well, y- yeah, it'll be great in five years. We're going to have all this housing. But what's going to happen right now? And what's going to happen to the ones who are like on the cusp of being homeless? That's the thing. Meanwhile, and I can't believe I just thought of this, but, you know, uh, Paul Calandra with the full beard now. And I'm, I'm just thinking of like the wolf from Pulp Fiction. He's like, uh, anytime they get into trouble, it's, they'll call Paul Calandra. And he's like, that's 20 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. And, you know, he comes into the media studio and starts fixing stuff. It's, it's amazing to me that the... <laughs> the the last uh the last savior of the fourth government is paul calandra i, I mean i oh think my god i think we've seen paul calandra in public like answering questions more than doug ford it, you know it's enough to, not to sound conspiratorial it's enough to make you think like who's the real premier in this province is it doug ford or paul calandra i don't know uh, maybe he swallowed another bee or something and can't make it <laughs> buck a bee I mean, maybe that's something you should uh think about buck anyway uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our interview with Leanne Caron. You're listening to CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, Open Sources. We'll be right back. From the floor. Now, 
And that's number 19 from this week's CFRU chart from an album called Pat Power Sings Dylan, the 1966 Royal Albert Hall Concert, a concert recreated by Cat Power. And the song was It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. And that goes out to Doug Ford. I'm not sure if he has blue eyes, but... <laughs> uh, well, he's part of the blue team, so it seems... Okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, we'll go with that. All right, good. It doesn't go out to Doug Ford at all. I just, I really like that song. That's the only, the only reason I picked it. And it's on our fine chart compiled every week by hardworking people. CFRU. Folks, you need to stop dedicating songs to the <laughs> premier's office. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, so I talked to Ward 5 counselor Leanne Caron this week. Um, council wrapped up for the year on Tuesday, as I talked about before, they approved several hundred new units. Uh, that of course is not the end of the housing crisis, but it does paint a picture that, uh, at least at a planning phase, which is the only thing our council is able to control. We are kind of moving on all cylinders about trying to at least, uh, generate new housing, but, um, this is a problem, not councils alone to solve. So we drilled down on some of those issues, uh, including what happened with the official plan meeting last week and uh, working with developers. And we'll do a little look ahead to uh, the new year, which starts in a couple of weeks. And uh, good chat. Because um, uh, if, if nothing else, Leanne Caron is one of the two city councilors who represents CFRU at city council. So it's ah, that's right. Ward five. I hope it went well. <laughs> we'll hear soon enough. <laughs> uh, well, we will hear. Not that we're asking enough. for favor or anything, by the way. You need to make clear. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody's asking for favors, but uh, we are asking questions. So let's hit play on our interview with Leanne Caron starting right now. Okay, Leanne Caron, thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Um, Council approved, as we're recording this uh, last night at the, the council meeting, approved over 500 units. Um, so what's the problem? What's the, uh, you know, we, we approved 500, 500 units in 30 minutes, as Mayor Guthrie said, you know, we're doing pretty good, aren't we? We're doing great. As you know, because I've, I've put that out there in the public realm before, we've got 5,000 plus, close to 6,000 units approved in the hopper uh, that can be built ASAP. There's there's a lot more than just council approval to get moving on the housing agenda. And I, I want to put on the on the floor or on tape or whatever the, <laughs> the language is for radio, every <laughs> single member of council and every single member of city staff is pro-housing. We all fully understand the imperative here. Uh, the affordability crisis, the housing crisis, the climate crisis, no one has blinders on when it comes to the need to build more housing. How to get that done is a way bigger question. Mm -hmm. Because it isn't just council. council. City council does not build houses. Right. But everyone's looking at city council to build houses. And I think that that's kind of where there's, there's a discrepancy. And I mean, there was the talking about this before we started recording, but there, you know, there was a woman at city council last night and talking to her before the meeting started. And she was all about like, I'm here about housing. I want to hear about, you know, housing news. And it, it's, it's sort of inescapable. And I'm sure you, this is kind of reflected in your email inbox all the time. 
Um, it's not just homelessness, but it's like affordable housing. And uh, council has pulled all the levers it can. And I guess this gets to a question I had, which is maybe getting a little further ahead than I anticipated in, 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 the, initial, in the initial here. But, you know, one of the things that I've come across this year is that um, a lot of the recommendations in terms of tackling housing has come down to we need to get more advocacy. And I'm starting to feel like we've reached the limits of advocacy. But I mean, that's seems to be the only lever that we have in order to get more things done. And that's a good point, Adam, because advocacy assumes that the person on the receiving end of that messaging is open to that message and has the mm. ability or the or the desire uh, to listen and to act and to implement and make good on those promises. If you do not have that person on the other end, advocacy, you're just you're tilting at windmills. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess where does that leave us? And that's maybe an unanswerable question and maybe unfair to ask. But, you know you're still going to get those emails, you, you know, you're still going to get those, you know, desperate pleas, you're still going to get these delegations that are saying, like, we need help building housing. But you're still city council, and you still have the same rules. Yeah, our job is to approve land use, and to issue building permits, um, and to city build for the future. Nothing we do cannot have an impact 20 years from now, where, where there is adverse um, impact on water, on uh, traffic, on infrastructure, on climate. I mean, we, we still have a city to build. Um, and we, we don't put shovels in the ground. There's way too many layers to actually opening a housing unit than just city council approval. And um, some of them are outside of the control of municipal, provincial, and federal government. I mean, interest rates, labor and materials, um, there's all kinds of other factors that are preventing housing from getting in the ground and developers and builders will tell you that I'm not speaking out of turn. They're telling us the cl business climate, the, the, this, the business case, the pro forma for putting a shovel in the ground right now is not good. So we're going to hold. Mm. They're telling us that. Um, those who have funding will have alternate funding uh, who, you know, maybe planned for, uh, for putting, uh, high density in, and have made a business case for it are moving forward. Um, but there's a lot of stalled units that we have no control over. But city councils, and this isn't just the Guelph thing, but city councils all over Ontario pay the price for that with, because yes. the, the province has set targets um, and city councils can approve, you know, hundreds and hundreds of units over their set targets but if those housing starts don't start, you guys still get tagged with the consequences. What I mean, and it's still nebulous what those consequences are, whatever they may be. Well, they're, they'll be financial. We, you know, the, the province said early on in, in Bill 23 and Bill 150, we'll make you whole. Don't worry. If you meet your targets, we'll make you whole. We've heard that so often. And even now, we're hearing that even if you make your targets, we're not guaranteeing we'll make you whole, which is reflected in our, our budget and our infrastructure budget, our capital budget uh, accounts for the fact that we're expecting to have to pay for a significant level of infrastructure development that uh, is a result of waived development charges and, and high rates of, of, of growth, which, which will never pay for itself. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, the, the bottom line is somebody pays and it's going to be you 
and me and all of the residents of Guelph. Do we know how close? And let's face it. It comes down. I can, I can tell you how to get housing in the ground. Okay. Money. Okay. <laughs> money. Okay. Lots I'll send, and lots and lots of money. I'll send a dollar money sign to buy bag over. High price materials, money to uh, get contractors and bulldozers, money to buy land, money to, um, it, but that is not going to be affordable housing. Right. Do you know how That's close? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but do you know how close we've gotten to 1,800 units this year? We're, I, I believe we've met the target. Okay. This year. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of look at what happened last week at the meeting about the official plan amendment and mm -hmm. changes therein. You were one of the people who voted against some of like the developer requested changes that were approved by the ministry but not by the city i'm wondering from your point of view be, since, since you were one of the no votes what was your or was one of your concerns there kind of like setting uh a, a concern about kind of setting a precedent that you know this was a yes this the provincial government opened a side door and some people walked through it and that is not necessarily unethical or immoral or illegal but they still went around the city in what is ostensibly supposed to be a city process. Is that a precedent you're worried about? 100%. The, the vote to um, ask the minister to make amendments outside of our normal planning process, those uh, passed on a 7-6 vote. And so it, that was close. That was, hmm. that was, we don't often have close votes, but that 100%, I was on the sixth side of that vote. 100% because of process not because i don't believe that those are valid amendments not mm. because i don't believe that that some of those sites can't be easily zoned for other uses uh, and not because i want to slow down the process by by uh, um, making a developer go through extra hoops those are standard hoops those are hoops that every other development that in this city has to go through if you didn't write a letter to the minister last december and get your project on the OP amendments that were released in July, then you didn't get considered for special treatment. So when the minister came back with amendments to our OP80, those 18 amendments, council and staff were legitimately upset. Mm. They were, that, that feels like a backdoor. The ERL process opened up developers to be able to submit letters. They are in effect whether you call them that or not, they are ministerial zoning orders. Mm. They are MZOs where the minister has made a decision outside of a normal process and said, thou shalt zone or amend the land use to this new use. When the minister made those amendments, we were all very upset because mm. it flew in the face of a two-year public engagement process that is called the OPA amendment mm. process. They flew in the face of any rational planning studies, technical studies, not just public engagement, but technical studies to, to validate the, the changes. So when the minister reeled those back and said, I'm undoing those because due diligence has not been followed according to my assessment. Minister Calendra was very clear about the reason he was reeling those back was because there had not been due process. Mm -hmm. And that there had been, un and the auditor said, auditor general said, there was undue influence at the political level. Mm -hmm. So by then 
turning it back over to mayors, the ministers said to the mayor, if there's anything you want us to keep, let us know. And the mayor, and I'll give him credit, instead of just writing in and said, I want this, this and this, he said, I'm going to go back to my council and ask my council which ones right. we should keep. Um, he didn't have to do that, but he did. So I'll give him, yeah. give him credit. For doing yeah. That. yeah, yeah, he yeah. Did that, when he did that and we voted on it, basically what we were voting on was asking the minister for an MZO. Mm-hmm. And we as a council had said previously, we're not into MZOs. We're not into bypassing the process. So it was curious to me. And I, you know, from, from a code of conduct perspective, I shouldn't be, um, I can't disparage a council decision mm-hmm. um, after a council decision has been made. It was a 7-6 vote, so it has passed. Um, but I still have a right to dissent. I still have a right to disagree. And I still have a right to articulate to you and through other forms um, why I disagree. And that some of that is to protect myself. For example, the water situation. If the water right. issue becomes a problem um, and we have over committed residential units without technical studies that support uh, a water available for those. I, I don't want to the city to be or, or members of council, you know, to be held accountable for that. Um, our staff were very, very clear. We do not have st- technical studies that support this level of residential land use. But I, I think so, there's also... I, I'm sorry for interrupting, but no, no, you're, no, you're, you're saying things that make me think of things. But one of the things I think that was at the meeting, and I think it's one of the kind of unspoken things, is that our the question if we're like playing a game of musical chairs, like the rush is on, and understandably so, to get housing going. And if that means changing employment land into a residential land, then the, the, the short-term thinking is, well, so much the better. But I And I think your ward mate, Kathy pointed this out that you know there have been instances in the city's not terribly distant past where we had to buy land for the purposes of turning it into employment land instead of doing the due diligence and making sure proper employment land is reserved and this is kind of happening all over the place right because it's employment land I would also argue it's hotels which are, are rapidly being turned into like student residence and uh, temporary shelter um and this is in the midst as the city's like doing a tourism strategy how do we get more people to come to guelph well where are people going to stay when they come to guelph to see all the great wealthy things if we don't have any hotels it's it's you know we're kind of short-term gain for long-term pain in in other areas it seems yeah and we we talk a lot in our official plan about complete communities and the importance of um of, of walkability sustainability of people being able to work live play go to school, all, all in walkable distance. And so when you take employment lands out of a, a major land holding, there are other consequences to that. And we haven't really thought them through. And as I said earlier in the program, we're city building. Mm-hmm. We're not just land use zoners. We have to build the city for the future. And we, we have a vision, a very, uh, and, and it's something that is award-winning. I mean, our official plan amendments and some of our secondary plans are award-winning plans that talk about complete communities. So re- removing a use, it has impacts throughout the entire city. And Kathy um, Downer, my, my ward mate, is 100% correct. The entire Hanlon Creek Business Park lands in 1996 was an- annexed from the township of Pusslinch, specifically because Guelph had run out of employment uh, lands zoned for employment. 
Mm-hmm. So let's not let ha- that happen again. There's also kind of a semi-famous struggle over that, that uh, some people in our community who have long memories uh, remember. Uh, the, the other part of this too is, I mean, you, you had this meeting last week, as we were saying, you know, we have developers coming in like, Hey, this, you know, side deal that we have with the provincial government, we want to keep it, even though we didn't involve you in the first place. Um, but we also see that on the other side at the OLT with developers, I mean, yeah, people can apply for individual properties, but we're seeing like objection to whole plans. Claire Maltby, the comprehensive zoning bylaw, the parking master plan. And I think one of the things I think a lot about is that understanding staff do a lot of uh, consultation directly with the stakeholders. They bring a finished plan to a council meeting and it's proved by council who are representatives of the people and then we're off to an appeal process and I, I i it makes me wonder about like the state of the relationship between the city and people who lead development in this community that they have all this consultation but at the end after our plan is done it still has to go through further arbitration which can take years and and i, I guess as a community member myself, I, I wonder like where where are we kind of falling down in these consultations? And it doesn't speak to like a larger rift between the people we need to do the building and the people who are um, sort of overseeing where and what kind of building is being done. Yeah, and I struggle with that too because I'm not anti-development, anti-housing. I don't want to be, I don't want the city to be seen as an impediment to good development. Um, I want the process to be efficient and quick. And if you've got a building permit and it meets our zoning and our, our land use, get it, get it through, get it, get the shovel in the ground. Um, OLT hearings tend not to be, they tend to be about specific issues. So even the big Claire Maltby overall plan, you have to appeal the entire plan, but it's, it's usually only one thing in the plan, in the plan that you're appealing. Right. You're not appealing the entire thing. You just don't like this block over here is too big or too small, or I'd like a little sliver close to the road that has more density. It's usually a little more specific. Yeah. Um, and it's usually, let's face it, um, in the best interests of the appellant um, to, and they're advocating for what they would like to see on their land and what they would like to build for their business case and for their bottom line. And rightfully so, that's their job. They're builders, they're developers. That's that's what they do. Um, but what we do is land use planning and city building and sustainable communities and complete communities and public engagement. So we each have a role to play. Both are equally, well, not equally, but both have are relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and there's a third party, the OLT that will decide whose case is the stronger case, the, the forward thinking city building publicly endorsed, um, position on what a development is going to look like or the landowner who will benefit from the build out. Mm-hmm. But I'm, sometimes, again, you know what, sometimes in an OLT hearing, the builder developer has a point and actually mm. there there are adjustments made um and and the city may may take a a, a mediated position um and we'll we'll come to a common ground and sometimes the city is is bang on we've got a we've got a future to build we're we've got a, a another generation who are going to be impacted by the decisions we make today 
but again, one of the things that was sort of developed in terms of uh, a barrier to getting more housing built was these frequent trips to the OLT, whether it, it was because of the one application or because of appealing a whole plan, which, as you said, is kind of like appealing one small sliver. It the, really adds. It, it, it is a time suck. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. And it adds years to the to the to the process. And that's actually a good point. The other last week, one thing that I thought of afterwards, and I really regret not thinking of it at the time, but I would have made an amendment after those uh, um, land use uh, zones were, were passed at, uh, at a, on a 7-6 vote. Mm. I should have made an amendment to make them time limited. Build mm. it or lose it. Get the shovel mm. in the ground or you lose your zoning in two years. So if you, you say you're, you're, you're trying to make your project efficient and you're saying that you want this uh, MZO process, um, so that you can be quicker in the ground than mm-hmm. use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't do that. But one thing yeah. that the public can do, mm-hmm. um, I don't know when this show will air, but one thing the public can do is the ERO, the Environmental Review um, um, process, is open. Mm-hmm. And um, the public can put in their comments on these requested amendments. Uh, and one of the things the public can do is say, put a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. If you are going to grant the city of Guelph these amendments and put a time limit on it. Yeah. Um, maybe to wrap up and maybe to change the tone a little, uh, is there anything you're looking forward to in the next year? Like, even if it's like not council business, you know, what's, what's on your radar come the turn of the calendar? Great question. I wasn't prepared for that one, but I think it's important to, uh, to finish on a positive note. So thank you. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to the opening of some of our new supportive housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some, some projects in the work. Uh, if you've gone down to Baker street, I'm really looking forward to seeing the library. And I, I do see the library as public infrastructure because it does serve our, our lowest income and our, our most vulnerable citizens as well. Looking forward to the new library moving forward. Um, although there were some um, changes to transit in our, our budget, um, mm-hmm. I, do, I am looking forward to some of the changes in transit. And I know that's something that you, Adam, are, are, are highly um, um, passionate about, as am I, because um, we're not growing at the pace of our, our master plan uh, as it was intended. We're mm-hmm. already behind. Um, but we do have some changes coming, and those are, those are exciting. Um, what else? Uh, there's some of these housing projects that we've approved and are ready to go. I'm looking forward to seeing them built, built and opened. Um, and then we'll uh, hopefully make a dent over the course of the next year in, in some of this, the struggles that we've had. Um, mm-hmm. Also, as you know, I'm passionate about um, uh, climate uh, mm-hmm. change and some of the work that we're doing on uh, environmental uh, sustainability and so i'm happy to see some of those projects moving forward as well again those are economic business cases in my mind it it uh, they have an overall sustainability goal but the long-term um financial impact is that our dependence on um energy systems that are unsustainable will be reduced and mm-hmm. that's a long that's long-term thinking <laughs> looking forward to those things well, in terms of short-term thinking, uh, because there are no more council meetings this year, this will be the last chance that I'll, I'll see you formally. So I'll just say happy holidays and thanks for joining us on the show today. It's appreciated. 
back at you. It's always great to talk city politics with you. I think the the if I could make one final comment, I really, really worry about the reduction in local journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your radio show, your website, your social media coverage of city politics um, is something people really depend on um, because we're, we're we're losing not just print media, but we're we're even losing online uh, coverage. Yes. So. Thank you for everything you're doing and keep up the great work. And, you know, I know you don't always agree with me and you you sometimes call me out on, on political issues. uh, And, uh, and I welcome that. I think that um, that kind of political discourse is, is healthy. So uh, at least I haven't called you a transit executioner lately, like I did to one of your colleagues a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) She's making the zipper over the mouth motion. So that's a good place to leave it. You know what we we um we, we're all accountable for our decisions, me included. And um, you know, we really learned that during the budget process. We had a lot of correspondence and a lot of social media about the city council budget. Uh, I take those things to heart, as I know all my colleagues on council do. We we live here. We 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 live among you. We have neighbors. We hear from our own family members, and we are personally impacted by the decisions we make. So. Um, you know, that's one of the things I love about local politics is that it, it is um, immediate feedback. Well, I love getting out of the interview on time, so we'll have to cut it off. But thanks, Leanne. Okay, so once again, that was Leanne Caron, Ward 5 City Councilor, our last City Council interview for the year, um, because we do oh. have an interview coming up next week. It's not with the City Councilor, though. Um, it's another friend of the show, so... Mm. Or enemy of the show. I could be anything. <laughs> you might find out. <laughs> should tune in and see. Like, turning of the year, everything changes, right? <laughs> how, how much animosity can we develop before Christmas? Stay tuned. <laughs> um, but seriously, that's the end of this week's show. We hope you liked it. Uh, you can listen to our show again by downloading it every Monday from our website, opensourcesguelph.com. You can find it on the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I shall return Wednesday at 3 p.m. for movie reviews, and that show I co-host there is called End Credits. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scott Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday at 5, please stay tuned at 6 for Turtle Island Underground. Yes, indeed. That is one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this show, we will return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then. 